to the Mission North Shore podcast. All right, we've come to Luke chapter 12. Well, technically we've been in Luke chapter 12 for a little while. In fact, we're now on our third week of this text. So from verse 13 to verse 34, we're kind of um, cruising our way through this text. We've taken a little bit of time. We've broken it into three different um, settings here, but it is all one episode, meaning that it all happened at one time. We're just taking some time to kind of work through it. Now, I think it's fitting to deal with this text in multiple sections. We're going to do it in three because there's at least three distinct sections here. If you remember back two weeks ago, the kind of first section was Jesus dealing with greed between two brothers that were fighting over an inheritance. You guys remember that? And one brother wants Jesus to step in and straighten out this dispute between him and his other brother. And really, the kind of uh, theme of verse of that first section is verse 15, where Jesus says to these brothers, Beware and be on guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of possessions. And then Jesus goes on to tell these guys a parable about a man who was greedy and selfish and stored up things for himself, but was not willing to be generous or to uh, bless others with what God had blessed him with. And after having stored up all of this stuff and having felt real secure and having now bigger barns full of stuff, God said to him in verse 20, You fool, this very night your soul will be required of you, and now who will own these things which you have prepared? The important point there was, what good is a life consumed with self and materialism on the day that you step into eternity? Right? What good was all of that? What, was, what, what good was bigger barns full of stuff for this man on the day that he stood before the Lord and faced Eternity. So Jesus in that section is dealing with the hearts of those two brothers. Now, the second section that we looked at was verses 22 to verses 32. These will be important to us today. We studied this last week, if you, don't, if you remember. And last week, we talked about worry versus trust. Worry in our lives for the things of this world versus trust. Do we worry, are we consumed with Worry for the things of this world? Or do we trust that God has got us in His hands, both in this life and eternity? Do we trust? Do, do we believe that? And some key verses from last section is verse 25 and 26, where it says, Which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan? So if you worry about it, does it extend your life? Is that helping you in any way? Then Jesus goes on to say, well, if you can't even do a little thing like that, why you worry about other matters? And then verse 32 is a key verse to us where it says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. That is, that when you belong to him, God has got you. And for that reason, you have now no need to worry. That, that was kind of the whole crux of last week. I think a plausible definition for anxiety and worry is a lack of trust that God is bigger than your problem, 
your issue, your situation, your need, whatever it is. A good definition for, for worry is not trusting that God is bigger than your junk. And one of the things that we said last week is that in those times, our focus needs to shift, right? It needs to shift from our fear to our Father. We talked about that last week. That we're going to do one of two things with fear in our lives. We're either going to live in it or we're going to bring it to God. We're going to do one of those two things with fear in our lives. Now that brings us to verse 33 in our section for today. And the whole kind of progression here is that if we believe verses 22 to 32 that God has got us, then verse 33 launches us to live in that faith. That's what we're talking about this morning. If you believe it, then live it. That's what today is all about. Living it out if you believe it. Since you no longer have anything to fear from verses 22 to 32, you can now live a life of total abandonment to God, His mission, His calling, His direction, and His leading. Amen? If you got nothing to fear, it sets you free, doesn't it? To live out this life for Him. And that brings us to verse 33, where Jesus says to His disciples, sell your possessions, give to charity, and make yourselves money belts, which do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near, nor moths destroy. Now that's a difficult verse, isn't it? If somebody walks up to you and says, sell all your possessions, that's a, that's a tough verse. It's a tough verse, a difficult verse, that then would call us to great faith, wouldn't it? And we're going to talk about today difficult verses going to take a bit of unpacking and so what i want to do is back up and read this whole section in context because it's important if we don't understand what jesus is saying in verses 22 to 32 we're not going to understand verse 33 so let's back up to verse 22 and jesus said to his disciples and notice that he is talking to disciples now not talking to the crowd he's talking to his disciples He said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as what what you will eat, nor the body what you will put on. For your life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither soil, they neither sow, nor reap, and they have no storerooms nor barns, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself as one of these. But if God so clothed the the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you? you men of little faith. And do not seek what you will eat or what you will drink, and do not keep on worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things. But seek first His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. And then this is a key verse for us. Listen, 
Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions then and give to charity. Make for yourself money belts which do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where thieves do not come near and moths do not destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the overall point, the overall thing that runs throughout the whole of this is because of who God is, we can now live out faith in Him. You can trust Him and go for it. When somebody comes to you and they ask you, hey, why do you take this seemingly crazy step of faith when conventional wisdom and all your friends and and worldly wisdom would say listen don't do that and they would tell you hey listen what you need to do is store that up or guard your life or take don't take that risk or 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 don't go to that place or don't take that stand or don't leave your security and, and go and worry about those people over there we can say at that time Our answer to that is, verses 22 to 32, isn't it? God has got me, right? He he feeds the the ravens. He clothes the lilies. I'm so, so much more valuable to him than them, so he's going to take care of me. He's got me, therefore I can go. I'm his beloved. He's gladly given me the kingdom. He's gladly going to take me into eternity if I surrender my life to Him. The Father has sent His Son to die on a cross in my place to cover my sin and my shame so that I have all eternity with Him. Because of all of that, and because of who I am in Christ, I have nothing to fear in this world or the next. So, therefore, I can take big steps of faith with God, right? Because of all that, I can run a race of reckless abandon knowing that God has got me. Now, remember that Jesus is talking to his disciples. These are men that were going to be called to give their life for the mission of Christ in this world. He's no longer talking to the crowd, which he'd previously been talking to. He's no longer talking to the two brothers that were just squabbling over an inheritance. He's not talking to part-timers. He's not talking to mere churchgoers. He's not talking to those that have this watered-down form of compromised Christianity. Jesus is talking to men who, when he said, come and follow me, the scriptures say they left everything to follow him. That's who he's talking to. That's who this challenge goes out to, to sell everything. So, at this point, it might be worth a little personal reflection to see where we fit in to that. Are you, am I, a real deal, live it out, take Christ at His word and go for it, disciple, or are you, am I, a pick-and-choose kind of Christian that, that kind of pick what I like and ignore or explain away the rest? Do we keep our involvement with God within comfortable limits? Does God have from you, does God have from me a standing yes 
regardless of what He calls us to do, the answer is already yes. That we are all in, we'll move in faith if He calls us. Or are there things in your life that are off the table to God? That He says, you can't touch this area, you can't send me there, you cannot call me to that. You see, the reason that this is important is because Jesus has, within Scripture, a lot of heavy, radical, life-challenging, faith-challenging, difficult statements, doesn't He? He says difficult things for us to follow within Scripture. Jesus was a radical guy, and He calls His disciples to live out a radical faith. He says there in Matthew chapter 10, verse 38, just one example is He says, He who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up an implement of death and come do what I did is not worthy of me. That's just one of how many radical statements, difficult and hard to process statements that Jesus gives. And the danger that we run into in our modern church culture with verses that we're uncomfortable with and that challenge us a little bit too far is that we often like to explain them away somehow, don't we? We like to say things like, well, Jesus didn't really mean that. What He really meant was this. We can do that. We often do that. And the danger is then we begin to water down the life of radical abandonment to this world and commitment to Jesus that He called true disciples to be a part of. We begin to water that down when we begin to explain away all of the difficult passages in Scripture. Now, to be accurate in our study of Scripture, for sure there are certain things that are contextual. Meaning, that there are at times we see and read things that Jesus spoke only to specific people and specific situations. And they may not apply to all Christianity for all times. Does that make sense? There are certain things that are contextual and there are certain things that we can't universalize from, for the whole of the church and say that this this one thing that he said to this one guy applies to everybody for all time. But, but here's one thing I want us to, to think about. Even in those cases, we need to see that Jesus' desire was to take those that were His out of their natural, comfortable, self-centered lives and tendencies, wasn't it? and launch them into a life of faith. And so even if we say, okay, this was contextual for this one guy, we still have to see that Jesus calls people to do these things, right? And I think verse 33 is a prime example of that. He turns to his disciples. He says, I've got your life. And then he says, sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Give to charity. Sell sell what you've got and depend on me. Now, the obvious question that comes out of a verse like that is, 
is Jesus calling all believers in verse 33 to sell all of their possessions and always have nothing? Is that what he's getting down to? And I think when we consider the whole of Scripture, the answer is no. And that's going to come as a great relief to some, right? Because you read that and you go, okay, Jesus said sell all your possessions. And everybody's like, uh-oh, not going to like this message. And then when we explain it away, everybody goes, it's not for everybody all time. Remember back when Jesus sent out the 70? We studied this a couple months ago. Jesus sent out the 70, and at that time, he told them to take nothing. Take no money, take no extra sandals, no extra clothes, take you know, no supplies, take nothing. Just go out in Luke chapter 10. And then later in Luke chapter 22, Jesus sends out the same disciples, yet this time he makes it very, very clear that they are to take things with them. They were to take money, they were to take supplies and extra stuff with them on this other trip. So we recognize then that we can't universalize that command. That Jesus' command here was for that specific situation. But here's what I'm getting down to, and here's what my fear is. That we could look at a verse like verse 33 that says, sell all of your possessions and give them to charity, and determine that not everybody is called to do that and feel relief from that, comfort ourselves, explain away those verses and then miss two very important things. Number one, that he may very well call you to do that. That while it's not universal for everybody, he may very well call you to that. Or, number two, not take hold of the fact that Jesus calls his disciples, those that are his, to radical steps of faith, and if he's not calling you to that, he may be calling you to something else equally as radical. If we only ever look for a way out of difficult and demanding and challenging passages, and if we comfort ourselves with some things not being universal, then we may, with dug-in heels, neglect the fact that Jesus calls his own to a radical life of faith. Does that make sense? Maybe it is to sell everything and go in the middle of the jungle somewhere. Maybe it's something else that's equally as demanding. But the point is this. The disciples of Jesus Christ are called to live by faith. And I want us to be very careful in explaining away every single difficult passage. What I want us to see as, as we backed up to verse 22, we need to recognize what Jesus did with these passages. And he laid out a very important progression. In verses 22 to verse 32, he said it's all about don't worry. Don't worry because God's got you. You can trust him. God holds you in his hands. He's got the ravens. He's got the lilies. You're so much more important to him than them. God knows. God loves. God cares. God's capable. Do not be afraid, little flock, 
for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. And then it goes, because of all of that, you can now take major steps of faith. Because God has got you, verses 22 to 32, you can now with all confidence take radical steps of faith like verse 33. What it's telling us is that God has got us in this life, right? He provides for the ravens. He provides for the lilies. You're so much more important to Him. He's got you in this life, and He's got you for all eternity, right? It says there in verse 32, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father's glad to give you the kingdom. Therefore, if that's true, what's holding you or I back from using this life to go for God. If that's true, if we believe verses 22 to 32, what's holding us back then from major steps of faith like verse 33? If he calls you to sell everything, to launch yourself out into the middle of the jungle somewhere, you can do it with all confidence knowing that He's got you. Now, do I believe that this is calling every believer to sell everything and go? No. I don't believe that's what it's saying. Do I believe that God is going to call some of us to do exactly that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I see it in Scripture. In Mark chapter 10, verse 21, He calls the rich young ruler to do exactly that. And I've seen it in the lives of the people around us. Elizabeth Ruah and Kevin Diamond. And, and uh, Zach and Anna Woolwine sold everything and went off, oftentimes going like, I, I don't even know what I'm doing. I just know God called me to this place, and so I just know that i got to go there. But here's my whole point. If it's not that, if it's not verse 33, it will be something else. It's going to be something else. If it's not to sell everything and go out on the mission, it'll be something else because Christ has called us to live by faith, to live outside of ourselves, beyond our understanding, outside of our comfortable little lives, to let go of the things of this world and to live for Him by faith. And the point of this passage, I believe, is that we can do that with all confidence. We can go and we can live and we can do completely abandoned to Christ because of verses 22 to 32. Because He's got us. Because He's got us, we can go into those big, ugly, scary, challenging verses that that are going to demand faith of us. See, we like verses 22 to 32, don't we? Because they tell us God has got us. We want to skip over verse 33 because it tells us then to do something about it. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And then notice what it says. And the life which I now live in the faith, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. 
Look at what Paul does there. He goes, the life that I live right now, the life that I live in this world, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of Man. Why? Why can I do that? Because Jesus loved me and gave himself up for me. A life lived with God is a life of faith. Listen, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because, it says, those who come to him must believe, and don't miss this, they must believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of those who seek him. Faith only comes when we believe He is. He is who Scripture says He is. The whole thing has to be based in the character, in the love, in the ability, in the power of God. Because of who He is, because of how much I'm loved, because of who I am in Christ, because He holds my hand in His life, I can go big for God. So the question then falls at our feet, doesn't it? Are you, am I, asking God to take us and do big things with us, regardless of the cost? And if not, why not? Because it tells us that God has got us. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear. You've not received a spirit of timidity, another translation tells us. Think about this. Think about it this way. Every fear and every worry in your life right now is an opportunity to exercise faith. Everything you're afraid of right now, everything that you're afraid that God's going to call you to, is an opportunity to live a life of faith. And then here's my final point. It's quite simple. Faith is meant to be active. Faith is meant to be active. A life lived out according to Jesus' commands and examples are on mission, engaged, alive, active, and fruitful. If we are living a life According to Christ's commands and examples, our lives will be on mission, engaged, active, alive, and fruitful. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 16. He said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. Our faith has to be active. He says, I appointed you, I chose you, I've called you, and the reason I did was so that you can go and be fruitful, so that you can go and be active. In the book of James, James is just the most ridiculously practical book in the Bible to me. It's just, just he just lays it down so simple, but so powerfully. And in James chapter 1, James makes a very important distinction between those who take God at His Word and go out and live it versus those who hear God's Word and are unaffected and unmoved. And it says there in James chapter 1, verse 22, notice the first word, prove yourselves. Prove yourselves 
doers of the word, not merely hearers of the word. And we have to admit that within church world, within Christianity, there is a vast difference, isn't there, in a said faith and a lived out faith. Right? We have to recognize that within our own little tribe of Christianity that there's a vast difference in a said faith and a lived out faith, a professed faith and a lived out faith, an active faith, meaning that it's entirely possible and far too common to claim Christ to be active in your life, to show up on Sundays and know all the lingo and to carry a big Bible and to sing all the songs and put the little fish on your bumper and to do all of those things and yet not live a life active on mission with Christ. There's a difference, isn't there, in saying it and doing it. We understand that. And James goes on in this incredibly practical book in chapter 2 to say that faith without works, meaning faith without action is dead. Faith without action is a dead faith, and he says that it's useless. Let's turn there. James chapter 2, we'll look at verse 14. James 2, 14. And we will be done. Almost. We're talking about if we believe it, then let's live it. Look at verse 14. What use is it, brethren, if someone says that he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing or in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do nothing for them, and what's necessary for the body, what use is that? You see what he says there? He says, listen, if you say to somebody, go be warmed and filled, and you do nothing for them, What use is that? What good then are words without action? That's what it's boiling down to. Then verse 17. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. But someone may say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without works, and notice what he says, and I will show you my faith by my works. What does he say? You say you have faith? Okay, show me that faith without any works. Try it. Show me some faith without any works. It says it's impossible. I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. The demons even believe that and shudder. Verse 20, but are you not willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? That is, that faith is meant to be what? Active and lived out. He's saying, if you believe it, live it out. I I think as we reflect on difficult verses, and one of the things that's noteworthy is that Jesus often said difficult things. And sometimes when Jesus said difficult things, People left. 
like Jesus would say something difficult, and people that had been following him left. And the ones that were left were the ones that were in it. They were the ones that were all in. In fact, here's a perfect example. In John chapter 6, after some very, very difficult words, even some of the believers left. It said in, in John 6, 66, it says, as a result of these difficult words that Jesus was saying and difficult, challenging things that he was calling them to, his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Disciples, these, these are followers. They left and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? He says, boys, are you going to leave as well? And then Simon Peter answers, and we want to catch this. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have, I have that underlined, you have the words of eternal life. We have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You have and you are. And because of that, we're staying with you. You see, Peter didn't understand these difficult things that Jesus was saying any more than the rest of them. But what he had was a faith that was strongly rooted in, who, in what Jesus had and who he was. And because of what he has, eternal life, and who he is, the Holy One of God, Peter's saying, I don't get it all, but i got to stay with you. I'm with you, regardless of what you call me to. And that's really what this whole section kind of is doing for us here in Luke chapter 12. Verses 22 to 32 are saying, this is who God is. He's got you. He's all powerful. He's capable. He loves you. He's got you. Therefore, you can live out radical things like verse 33 or any other step of faith that he calls you to. And I think my biggest fear for myself and for us as a church, is that at some point we would be just playing church. You know? That we would start to look at the Bible as what used to happen. We'd read it, man, God really used to do some radical stuff back in those days, and we would begin to then back down from or explain away radical steps of faith in an effort to comfort ourselves, in an effort to find a familiar, cozy, safe form of Christianity. You know what happens when we do that? We end up redefining discipleship. To take the scary stuff out and to make for ourselves a Jesus who we're comfortable with. That's, that's redefining discipleship. That's not biblical. Hebrews 13, 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The power then is the power today and the power that will be. Jesus has not changed. The mission that he's called us to has not changed. And the faith needed to follow him has not changed. We don't get to mold Jesus into our image, our comfortable image. We are to be molded into his image, right? So when we come across difficult things, even if we recognize them as contextual, we still need to embrace the fact that Jesus still does radical things through his disciples, and he still calls his disciples to radical steps of faith. 
And that faith that we say we have needs to be active. Amen? Listen to to what Paul says. I love this. 1 Corinthians 9. I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation because I think it just communicates so nicely. Listen to this. Paul says, I do how much? Everything. I do everything. I want that, man. I, I want to be that. I do everything to spread the good news and share its blessing. Dude, how cool would that be on your tombstone right there? I did everything. And the people could come and say, testify, yeah, yeah, he did. We can do that for Paul because we've seen the life of Paul. He says, I do everything to spread the good news and share the blessing. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. And then I love what this says. So run with purpose in every step. How cool is that? Paul says, I run with purpose in every step. He said, my faith is active. I believe God has got me, so I'm going to run the race and I'm going to run with purpose in every step. We do that, church. Things change, don't they? We do that, this community change. If we do that, lives change. People's eternities change. Amen? Father, we come before you and we take your words, Lord, and as challenging as they are, Lord, we recognize that in you, we have nothing to fear. Lord, in you, we have nothing to fear. What will this world do to us that compares with the glory that you have waiting for us? Lord, I pray that this morning your spirit would fall upon us. Lord, I pray that it would challenge us and stir us. I pray that right now that those that are wrestling with steps of faith, Lord, that they would let go and let you take them there that people that, you, that know they've been called to something, Lord, I pray that they would let go of this world and submit to you and go. And I pray that at the same time, Lord, those of us that need to hear from you, Lord, call us to those heavy steps of faith. We want to be a church on mission with you in this world. We recognize that the same power that existed when you walked on this planet exists today for us. We recognize, Lord, that you've got us in this life and in eternity, and therefore we have nothing to fear. Lord, build that into our hearts so that we would truly, truly go for it for you. Lord, we need you to speak to us today. Lord, you've called yours to live by faith. Those that belong to you are to live by faith. Lord, I pray that today we would take another step of faith with you. If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at The Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening and God bless.